Hey, do you need a UK representative, a Swiss representative or a European authorized representative for your medical device industry? Okay, so you can contact now Easy Medical Device at info at easymedicaldevice.com Info, I-N-F-O at easymedicaldevice.com And we'll help you for that, so talk to you soon. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we wanted to talk about MDR uh, again and discuss more about certain topic about MDR, which is the classification. So recently we had the MDCG guidance that was issued for uh, the MDR classification. We're waiting for that uh, since a long time because we needed, if I can say, some clarification about classification. And um, so for that, I have with me uh, somebody that will help us to understand uh, more about this MDCG guidance, to understand more about what are the changes also to the classification within MDR, which is Frank Matzek from Biotronic. So Frank, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you, Moni, for having me. Great. I'm so, looking forward uh, to our discussion. Yeah, so um, I'm, really, I'm really happy that you are here because we had a, a previous discussion about, about this and there are really, I think, a lot of good information here that can be really helpful for, for the manufacturers. Uh, so we'll dig really on that. But before that, maybe for the people, so can you just introduce yourself uh, quickly? Yeah, sure. So my name is Frank Matzek. I'm uh, since 84 uh, in the medical devices space and uh, started from uh, being a biomedical engineer, uh, creating and designing test equipment uh, and made my way up uh, to uh, the deputy head of a notified body. At that time, it was not called a notified body, but and then um, joined Biotronic in 92 uh, and made my uh, the first CE mark uh, for an active implantable in March uh, 93. In the golden times, where uh, it was uh, rather easy and uh, um, straightforward uh, to have a CE mark. And then uh, having with being this Biotronic now for almost 30 years, and since 2016, I'm taking care especially on MDR and uh, representing Biotronic uh, in the German BVMET Industry Association, as well as Metec Europe. And right. I'm uh, especially uh, on MDR and the regulatory side of uh, this. Great. Uh, I, I think, I, think uh, th I mean, this is impressive <laughs> CV, if I can say. I, I, I suppose you had seen a lot of the things that are happening with this industry since a long time. So I, I suppose now that this change to MDR uh, is really, uh, you, you are seeing, if I can say, really the differences between MDD, MDR, and what are the impacts to the, to the manufacturing. Even a I, I even had the, the chance to see uh, the Metgefau, the uh, German predecessor of MDD to, to get to life. And uh, with all the hiccups we had in the beginning that we have to test devices in the hospitals in use. And that was, that was a fun story. Okay. Uh, so we had two years to examine all devices in the various hospitals. And uh, that was a stretch. So, and then uh, seeing the development of the MDD especially and then get to life. That was an exciting, uh, exciting time. 
because this was real progress. We were moving ahead. We, uh, we had the chance to get rid of all the national legislation and get a CE mark and being on the market in Europe, in all of Europe, uh, with one uh, regulatory approval. That was exciting time. And um, I, I would wish we would have another uh, exciting time with MDR uh, and, and um, with the benefits for the industry. Unfortunately, mm, with the benefits, a little bit uh, of problem with MDR, uh, we are seeing a lot of disadvantage. Yeah, and, uh, so no, it's not the same time, not the same experience. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, and and as as we said, so today we'll try to um, give, if I can say, the, the good and and bad side of the classification for for MDR. Uh, so so first we we have so we ha there is really a change between the previous classification under MDD and AIMDD and MDR. So. There, there is really a move there. So is it more stringent for the manufacturer or it's nearly the same thing? There? So there is no really a lot of differences here. I think um, the extension uh, and, and the, the um, supplements made are uh, necessary to, to, to the advancement of technology. For example, to talk about classification of software uh, is, is um, something would need to happen. Uh, nanomaterials, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that, that's coming uh, or already there and um, other points. But um, it's the nitty detail which which makes it complicated and the interpretation. And I would wish that sometimes we would have more clear and simple uh, um, decisions rather than being in the very detail and make it um, complicated. Yeah like a decision tree. So you go from one step to the other, and then you have again to go down, go down, go down, which makes things really difficult. And you have really to have experts, experts on that. So we have yeah. the MDD and we have the AIMDD. So it's what we had before. And now everything merged to the MDR. So now yeah. AIMDD were not classified before, if I can say. They were, had no rules for classification before because they yep. were under one regulation. Now they go to MDR and they are classified. So does this change a lot to the, to the, the people that are under so, this so, regulation? Yeah, so we were hoping that uh, the AMD did not have a classification. Everything what was considered uh, uh, regulated under the AMD was a class AMD which is very similar to classroom. So uh, it was um, due to the early birth of uh, um, the EIMD. It was the first directive. At that time, we were supposed to have four directives for medical devices, active implantables, non-active implantables, non-active uh, non and active. So the EIMD was the first one. Very small, tiny market. All point whatever percent of the market. And uh, so it was not deemed to be necessary to have uh, uh, a classification. So it's all under one class. And that, that's similar to class three. So the discussion about accessories was not as advanced as it was under the MDD a little bit later, two years later. So uh, we were hoping when uh, melting everything together, getting EMD, MDD together into the MDR, that we will have classification very similar uh, like MDD for the AMD that we very well 
divide accessories uh, which are not implantable, not active from active implantables. And um, so we had a we had a hint that there's something uh, in discussion with Recital 58. But we were, at that time, we were hoping that uh, this will turn out to be an easy going because it's really the active implantables which are meant with uh, Recital 58. So, so the, the, this is, if I can say, the, the, the first big change uh, in, in terms of uh, this classification. There, are, there is also another big change, which is the addition of a new class, which is class 1R. So is this also changing all the scope of, uh, of some manufacturers? So the point is it, it hits manufacturers who were classified as class one, had no experience with a notified body, and now all of a sudden need a notified body. And uh, so that is a big change. And especially in Germany, we have a lot of small manufacturers making these tools. Uh, and um, they are hit by uh, a, a new process for them. Uh, they have to go to a notified body, have an approval. Uh, they don't have a notified body. To find a notified body today is rather uh, a challenge. And uh, if you are a small manufacturer, uh, um, the notified body making um, a business decision uh, is unlikely to take you on board. That is what, what the consequence of that is. Is. I don't challenge the new class, but the consequences of that. Exactly. So the the, the here we want to talk about class one air. So we have to be careful also because a lot of people are thinking that reusable means for any class one product yeah. that are reusable. We are talking specifically about surgical instruments that are reusable. Yeah. Uh, and there is a lot of people that are making the confusion and they say, my device is class one air. When we look at that, we say, no, it's not. So it should be just class one. It's not because it's reusable that it's class one air. It's just, uh, yeah, the, the confusion here. Um, mm -hmm. we, we had also um, a, a big surprise, but something that we, we knew it's about the software, as you said be, before. Um, so mm -hmm. software were most likely class, I guess, class one under MDD. But now we are going from class 2A because we had a previous episode with, uh, with Chief Sud where we talked about software and we said that class one for software as a medical device is really rare. We, we have maybe one or two examples, but it's not like something that is happening a lot. Mm -hmm. From class 2A then to class three. So it goes, it's a complete flip also. We are also here on the same situation as what we discussed about class one to class one R. It's from class one, one to class 2A to B or three. So now it's also changing a full industry. Yeah, and, and I think the first step, uh, you have to differentiate between software, which is driving a device, which is kind of embedded, I would say. Yeah. And uh, software as a medical device standalone, that's two things. And then something in between where uh, a device is driven by a piece of software and in addition has a software which is making some kind of diagnosis taking some parameters from the device making diagnosis and then being considered a software uh, as a medical device again. And uh, so the first thing is the differentiation. Of that. And um, yeah, and then the, the manufacturers of software are usually uh, not so dedicated to medical devices. They are not used to our uh, sphere of regulatory uh, science, I would say. And um, that may be a difficulty when going from 2A to 3, 
uh, or even from one to three, than dealing with an audified body and getting into the details. Yeah. So it's 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 um it's is it something that um that may may I mean we had also a discussion about the qualification of those auditors that will be doing those audits because mainly notified bodies were also not qualified to have the people the auditors that have knowledge for for this now they have to hire those people to train them and then to have them available so that they can audit this so uh, I, i think there will be maybe uh, uh, so some struggle if i can say for some manufacturers and notified bodies to discuss the same language at the beginning because they have it's not like they have 10 years of experience about the documentation that are needed for that so do you think they, they, this will be also something that we will see on the field So I'm not so much concerned about the notified bodies. They had software to review, for example, for active implantables before. Uh, so they had uh, experts on that. Uh, they were well trained. Um, maybe they do not have the capacity, uh, uh, but, but that's not the issue for the notified bodies. So expertise is not the issue, but maybe capacity. On the other side, uh, for um, startups uh, developing a software, they come may come as a surprise uh, when when they learn about the requirements uh, MDR puts on them. Uh, and uh, that may be a challenge, yeah. Yeah, I, and I, finding I, an notified body. Yeah, I, I imagine that, uh, as we said, so it would be really a, a big, a big, uh, uh, yeah, a big struggle for them when they will see the notified body coming, asking them questions that they never heard about, asking questions for some documents that they never saw or never made, if I can say before, which is uh, something that can uh, can happen also. Um, mm -hmm. We we said that yeah, we have, if I can say, products that we already know under MDD or AIMDD. And now we have the inclusion of some new products, uh, if I can say our new category of products also on the classification, uh, which we talked just before, which is like, for example, nanoparticles or substances on devices. Um, so the, this, when we look now at the MDCG guidance, we are trying to see if this can help us, if I can say, to see, to differentiate some of our products, to say this product is under this rule and it's under this classification, etc. So uh, do you see here like, Um, uh, on this MDCG guidance and maybe for also the other products, do you see something that is really helping us now to navigate through this classification and having the right answers to all our questions to say, yes, my product is class one or two A or two B or three. So is this a helpful document? So it's, it's basically, it's a, um, a reiteration of the existing MEDEF document and classification. So that was always helpful And uh, it was well used, uh, notified bodies and manufacturers to agree on. Unfortunately, the new one, um, first of all, it's late. Okay. We would have expected that, let's say, not in 2017, but uh, well before notified bodies start to assess uh, technical documentation um, for MDR. Uh, so before you submit something to the notified body, you should have uh, a clear decision and a safe decision, uh, a reliable decision on the classification. So it, it, it is late. Um, uh, I do not disagree with the overall content, but some details. Uh, examples uh, which, which annoy, which uh, surprise people, and uh, where we now uh, find... Uh, details which, which change the picture, actually. Okay. So, for example, within, and we didn't know before, and we tried to influence that before, uh, uh, which 
because we believe it's a misunderstanding and a mistake, is to classify uh, accessories for active implantables to class three. Yeah. Uh, and ignoring, ignoring that accessories by, by general rule needs to be classified uh, at its own intended purpose. Yeah, true. And um, there is, there is um, let's say, a philosophical break uh, to say that uh, when when classifying and giving examples that certain accessories for active implantables are considered class three, that is surprising. That is annoying. That is considered an error. So 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 let's clarify. It's true that when you go to the classification uh, discussion, it says. As soon as you have an accessory, it should be classified by its own. So it's a cable, for example. Let's say a cable has no energy or whatever. It's class one. So then there is no, no kind of discussion here. But if it's a cable that is used for an active implantable medical device, if you go to rule eight, it says active implantable medical device and their accessories are class three. So it means that there is two rules or two uh, requirements that... Uh, which one to choose then? <laughs> this is maybe uh, one of the difficulties, the first difficulty we have with this classification. So there, there are obviously two schools of understanding, I should say. Obviously, the authorities uh, take Recital 58 and they say, read there, it says that uh, um, we should conserve the highest risk class for active implantables. Okay. Right. And then they read uh, the text of the MDR and, and read rule eight and see that as uh, uh, active implantables and their accessories should be class three. So the other school says, uh, wait a minute, Recital 58 talks about that an active implantable shall be highest risk. Class. Not accessories. Not a non-active, non-implantable accessory. So uh, wait a minute. Uh, this is a little bit odd interpretation. Second, you end up in rule eight if you have an implant. So it is uh, uh, the chapter on um, surgically invasive devices. And rule eight is one of the rules talking in the beginning um, about uh, uh, intended uh, to be implanted or long-term surgery. So you, you do not get down to the subcategory where you talk about active implantables. Then to see that you have as an example, and there are three examples which, which are causing that issue, that is torque wrenches, that is a screwdriver. It's, it's not implantable. Nobody would have the idea to implant that. It's not active. You're just screwing by hand. So, and it's actually a tool. It's a tool. Um, one could even start to think, is that a medical device or an accessory to a medical device? But let's, let's keep that out of the discussion. The second example is the cable uh, on the programmer, and that is typically an ECG cable. Okay. If that is connected to an ECG recorder, it's a class one accessory. If it's connected to a programmer, and to the ECG module of that programmer, then it's a class three. And the magnet, which is used to switch the implanted device into the magnet mode, yeah, which, 
which is even not not placed on the skin, but you don't need to put place on the skin, it does not touch the patient actually, which is used, uh, if it's used to put metal, uh, uh, remove metal parts from the eye, it's a class one. If you use it to, to, to apply it uh, to an uh, active and part of it, it's a class three. Nobody has the idea to implant that magnet. Nobody has to, uh, it's not considered active. So what is it good for? And then there are two more categories. They are wrongly in this rule and talking about transmitters and programmers. They are dealt with in rule nine. They shouldn't be um, examples in rule eight. So the consequences, again, the consequences of this to be class three means that you have clinical data in uh, the, the regulatory file in the tech doc. You need to have uh, a, a summary of safety and clinical performance, and you need to have a periodic safety update report and all this. This is typically for something uh, which is low volume, uh, low margin, uh, that is economically usually not feasible for manufacturer. So if, if you're not able to receive a regulatory approval for that, then probably the, the devices have to disappear and um, uh, with, with unknown effect to uh, health of the patient or the comfort of the patient, the quality of life, whatever. And um, the question really is, is this uh, a, a wise decision to put these accessories um, into class three? Uh, we believe it is not sustainable. It's not justified. It's uh, uh, violating uh, the implementing rules, which just state uh, you have to classify the accessories per its intended purpose. And uh, so, Note five of uh, of this rule eight, which is attached to this rule eight, says um, um, all also non-implantable, non-active accessories to AMDs should be classified as class three per rule eight. This is a violation of the implementing rule. Uh, we will never end up in rule eight if that is not implantable. So, it's we believe it's a mistake. Yeah, we, 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 I mean, we'll see that maybe, um, I mean, we will always see that maybe in future when we'll have maybe some, uh, yeah, some conflicts with, between manufacturers and, and notified bodies about that. But um, I suppose also notified bodies, um, they, they have, I mean, they are, they are in the middle of this kind of fight, if I can say. So uh, the, the, do, do they have something to say or do they have just to apply without saying anything or... Is there a possibility to discuss with them and negotiate for this case, for example? So the point is, you know, this guidance is uh, published and uh, the MDR uh, tells notified bodies that they have to consider the guidance and uh, the designating authorities for notified bodies will urge um, notified bodies to apply uh, the guidance. The question is when and to what extent or this, but we expect that notified bodies have no choice after this guidance is published than to apply it. We know that during the generation, the development of this guidance, notified body were in agreement with uh, the industry that this should not be a class three device and that that's at least what we hear. And uh, um, it's, it's 
Finally, um, it has been published this way, and now the notified bodies probably have to apply it, and designating authority will, will watch out for notified bodies uh, during their assessment that they have applied. Okay, so, so the um, question really is how can we how can we change that or how can we tackle that? Yeah, I, I imagine that it will be really a, a big discussion maybe on that. So. Um, in terms of in terms also of the rule eight, we have also uh, uh, one product that is in rule eight that has been up classified, if I can say, which are the spine implants. So before spine implants were class two B, now they become class three. So is there a reason for that also? Now, I think um, um, I'm not an expert on, on orthopedics, but what I think is that um, there is an exemption for veggies. For yeah. screws and these kind of things. Exactly. Yeah. And um, 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 manufacturers applying those rules and considering certain devices to be wedges or uh, screws, now finding themselves that hooks which need a screw and which are connected to a screw typically uh, uh, are, as an example, class three. So they, they kind of feel now that the rule has been applied a little bit different and that moves their device from 2B to 3. So, so the difference between 2B and 3 is not that yeah, exciting exactly. uh, than from 1 to 3. Um, but, but there are more. There are, for example, rule 6 for the orthopedic implants where there is uh, a differentiation between the intended purpose by the manufacturer and the potential risk. And, and the rule now is considering the potential risk, which is, an, again, a little bit odd, uh, then we, we are classifying in accordance with the intended purpose as defined by the manufacturer and not that uh, the guidance is now evaluating the risk of application of that tool and then classifies to the risk. That's a, a, a different situation. And this is obviously happening in rule six. But again, this is maybe to a B, two, three or whatever. That's uh, not that uh, exciting, uh, a big step. Exactly. And uh, there is another thing which is uh, also included now, which more about, we talk more about substance-based uh, devices. Um, we had also something here about substance-based devices that contain some medicinal substance. So um, we know that before there was already this uh, rule that anything that contains a, a medicinal substance is already going directly to class three when this medicinal substance is used as an accessory. So um, what is the change here on, on all this, uh, what we are talking about here? Yeah, so the MDD had uh, uh, wordings in there uh, like liable to act. So um, it, it was there and it, it, if, if it had an effect on the body, then uh, in this case, that was a medicinal substance. Now, this is obviously independent of the intended use as defined by the manufacturer. Uh, the wording is has ancillary action. And, and that could mean that uh, something which is a substance-based um, device is not only uh, in class 21, but is moved to class uh, 14, uh, medicinal substance, and then the, the issue is that you are sent into a consultation process with the pharmaceutical competent authority, and that is a lengthy 
process and um, to learn now that potentially your device needs uh, um, um, a consultation process, which takes quite some time. Um, and and uh, we have an overload of uh, pharmaceutical competent authorities since MHRA is no longer there, uh, which made a number of these uh, consultation processes now to find uh, a, a, a pharmaceutical competent authority taking your file on board uh, and, and uh, moving through that lengthy process could mean that you won't make it until May 2024. And that is the concern. And uh, the, we are waiting for another guidance, which is on borderline and which will uh, elaborate a little bit more. I think we have a final draft and uh, this will be then discussed there. And so, uh, so many here, um, e even if, uh, if we have a cream that contains a small substance that may be considered as a medicinal product, even if it has nothing to act on the bodies, maybe just for conservation of this cream or whatever, this is moving to class three, and this is moving to this process that we are talking about. So it's really this, this situation now. That seems to be the case. Uh, uh, I'm not involved in these discussions, but, but uh, uh, it seems what I hear and what I uh, understood from the discussion is that, that this is happening, that, that manufacturers are sent into the consultation process uh, who were not expecting this. So um, it's, it's really true then that the, the MDR is really upscaling, if I can say, moving really higher, tightening the, the rules and the requirements here with all the examples that we've shown today. Um, so we have more restriction or more requirements for those products uh, and, and more demand also than from, from maybe some notified bodies to provide some research on, on those evaluations. So I suppose this will have, I mean, just this change will have a lot of impact on some of the manufacturers. Yeah. Sure, and and again, it's in the detail. Every manufacturer needs to to read carefully and uh, make up its mind. Uh, um, does does that change my classification? And, and again, uh, this guidance is uh, at least two years too late. Yeah, and and that may have effect on manufacturers who were diligently working on establishing their MDR certification. So the early bird may be the one who will be punished because he was trusting, the manufacturer was trusting on the existing classification, his understanding and the discussion, and now finds itself uh, in a situation where uh, the certification is kind of uh, questionable because uh, the classification does no longer uh, hold true. So, so this is something which is, um, I would say, uh, unfortunate, uh, to be mildly, uh, to say it mildly, it's unfortunate that the early bird may be punished. So it's true that if, for example, I have classified my product as class 2A, and now there is this MDCG guidance coming and explaining, no, your product is class 2B, you have already been classified and certified by a notified body under class 2A. So it means that is, is your certificate still valid? What will be the discussion with notified bodies? Will they up-classify you and ask you more requirements? I mean, as, as you said, early birds are really punished because they trust the process, but in the, in the end, they are not well-classified or they are not following the right rules. So I suppose they are, they will have some con there will be some consequences to that. But if there is a conflict between manufacturers and notified bodies on that, so is there some process that will try to manage all this? Uh, first of all, uh, the, I would say 
there, there is no no dispute, first of all, because uh, the notify body and the um, manufacturer are looking to the guidance, find themselves and say, yeah, we op- obviously have the wrong classification on that. So then the question is how to get out of this situation. If you have switched to MDR, um, I would say you cannot place devices on the market anymore. And you need to get out of this situation. So uh, that's unsustainable. So probably you will need to talk to your local authority and see what what a grace period could be to get into the right classification. So I would hope that the certificate will be valid for another period. Uh, and during that period, you can work with your notified body to get into the right classification, the right certificate, and move on. So that if, if you do not agree, then there is uh, provision in the MDR how uh, you can solve that dispute and you have to include your local authority, uh, your national authority, competent authority on classification. For example, in Germany, that's B-Farm and you can go to them and uh, bring the case and uh, they will have a decision and uh, um, will let you know what uh, they believe is the right thing to do. Uh, It's very likely that they will follow the guidance uh, and and uh, will not make up a completely new discussion about uh, about that classification. So it is expected that that uh, the local authority uh, will follow the guidance. Um, but but nevertheless, you have that chance to bring the case and um, and um, get a decision. And then the question is, if the local authority uh, decides against the guidance, yeah, then. What is going to happen then? Then obviously we have an uh, uneven playing field. So in Germany, it's classified this way. In France, it's obviously classified differently because they adhere to the guidance. Um, so then we, we need a process how to solve that uh, European one. To harmonize everything, yeah, because uh, I mean, the objective of MDR is also to have an harmonization and to be able to sell the products uh, everywhere in Europe. So if we have some differences between some countries, then we have uh, some of that. So is, there is a procedure for that, for uh, harmonization, if I can say, or, or discussion uh, between the competent authorities in case of uh, dispute in terms of classification. There is one. Uh, it's called the Helsinki procedure, very recently uh, republished. And uh, so it's made for authorities to align on this uh, classification issues if they arise. And there are timelines uh, to, to move forward and, and, and remove the unevenness of, of this playing field uh, with regard to classification. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a good. So, uh, so, uh, but the manufacturers are not part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, 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 so the point here is just to say that there are some processes from and at different stages, if I can say, for uh, talking about classification to discuss about that. Uh, there is also the 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 um, how to say the medical device borderline manual that is also existing, where uh, when there is a, also sometimes a dispute about certain products, we have a publication about. Uh, this case on the borderline manual where we say this product is the class 2A or etc. But this borderline manual is still under the MDD. So I don't know if they will be planning to do something on MDR for that. We're waiting for it. And uh, uh, it's obviously final draft. And uh, it's this, uh, uh, the borderline between medical device and medicinal product. 
So it's exactly to this Rule 14, uh, the discussion, and uh, uh, we, we have uh, a final draft and we're waiting uh, to have that published soon. That's, that's, two, uh, that's the twins, the classification, the borderline, that's two documents uh, um, uh, helping each other and especially on uh, medicinal, uh, the differentiation between medicinal product and medical device. No, great. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so um, I think, yeah, we covered um, all the, I hope all the questions from the people about uh, classification. So uh, the conclusion is many that, yeah, it's still not, it's not easy. Uh, so be careful on the details, as I said, Frank. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are really a lot of things that you have to consider if, if, if you are on the case that we discussed about the, the specific products that we discussed about. So uh, please have a look specifically at the MDCG and, and the discussion and check again if your classification is still okay and discuss with your notified body if there is any uh, any um, any mitigation plan to to put in place so that you can go back to the the, the normal situation because as we said as soon as you are in a non-conformance normally you have to stop uh, placing the devices on the market so have an early discussion with them and no need to hide that if i can say because anyway uh, this will be a problem for you so uh, have an early discussion with your notified body and try to uh, to move forward on that um Frank, is there any other thing that we can say about maybe your work or what you are doing? Yeah, so um, the classification guide is, is a good example for uh, uh, a higher level uh, issue what is discussed this year quite uh, all over the year. And the question, when does an MDCG guidance apply? And uh, so uh, is there a grace period uh, when to apply that? Um, is there... Um, um, uh, a way to apply it uh, is it fully binding? So you know that it's uh, uh, saying in the in the preface of each uh, guidance that this is not a binding uh, exactly. uh, legal in, uh, thing. It's an interpretation. But on the other hand, um, we know that notified bodies have to apply uh, the guidance uh, very quickly, and. Um, this causes quite a number of problems. So um, notified bodies need to train uh, their trainers. The trainers have to train the reviewers on the new guidance. That all takes time. And um, if manufacturers are surprised by the guidance because they were not aware that something is coming and, and not always industry had the chance to comment on guidances. Sometimes some guidances just take forever, others just appear and surprise industry. So if you have vetted your development uh, of a new product, which takes years on a certain assumption, and then you, you get surprised by guidance, then that could mean that, that you, you failed uh, with your investment into this product. Yeah. So now the question really is, um, the MDR requires the notified body to consider guidances. And uh, we, we had a, an event in Germany where the commission representative was, was stating that you have to view guidances like harmonized standards. That's not this, the same thing. You, you cannot compare this. There are distinct differences. However, what I perceive is that uh, we have a little bit of easing of the discussion. So it is not as strict as we were used to, that at day one, every guidance will apply in full. 
So what we work on, uh, have to work on is a way um, to, to uh, have agreement between the authorities, the notified bodies, the manufacturer, that we, for example, have an introduction plan, a transition plan. So if there is something new and you have transition from one to the other, then it should take some time and you should be allowed to take the time to adjust. And um, the question really is what happens if you're already in conformity assessment? We have seen cases where you were already at the certification body, you were at the final, final review, and all of a sudden the guidance uh, uh, appears. Oops, exactly. You're, you're back on square one. That's impossible. Uh, that's waste of money, time, resources. Uh, and the same is true if, if you have a certificate. Now a guidance comes in and uh, you, you need to change your product. You need to change your label. You need to change your classification. That could not mean that all of a sudden you're cut off. So we, we need to agree on something. And uh, so uh, what, what I would, would be uh, happy for is as long as safety and performance is not concerned. We should have some time to adapt. So if during a conformity assessment, something, uh, the tech doc review, something uh, uh, appears, we should finish that and have a plan how to move over to the new requirement. If something, if, if a, a certificate is issued, we should, we should and, and, and again, if safety and performance is not uh, concerned. Exactly. We should wait until recertification. Yeah. Or or agree on a plan with a certain time frame. Um, so we need something like that. Uh, we cannot manage um, to develop and maintain devices on the market um, by and getting surprised by guidances which jeopardize what we have achieved. That's impossible. I think I think this is a good, a good point because uh, if we don't do that, I suppose that a lot of manufacturers will say, I will wait until really the last moment so that I can move to MDR because maybe there will be some changes with some guidance, etc. And we should not encourage that because we saw already that everybody has their certificate that will expire in 2024. So it's many that will be really a big wave at that time. So if everybody waits until that that moment because of the argument that the MDCG guidance are not out, so I'm waiting them before I'm, I make my moves. Uh, this can be a, a big struggle for, for everybody here. So it's, it's good to have there this. Are two things. There, there are two things. Uh, one is if I have an MDR certification to switch to the MDR, so, yeah. so meaning in the declaration of conformity to switch to MDR, uh, I would encourage people to be very careful in choosing this point in time. If, if you lost your, 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 your MDD certificate expired, you have no choice. But if you have a choice, you, you want to have a strategy to move uh, to a very late stage where you switch over and everything switch over to MDR. The other point is when to submit something uh, to get MDR certification. And there is the point um, uh, we will see the rush in 2023, uh, 2024. If you want to avoid this rush, uh, then you better start moving now. Uh, yeah, don't wait. Uh, talk to your notified body exactly. or even find a notified body 
uh, which takes you on board and start working on MDR certification. Don't wait. Uh, yeah. You get into the rush and then it's pretty likely that you won't make it uh, in May 2024. So don't get forced. Um, uh, I would say um, work with your notified body now to get a plan in place, uh, assuring that you'll make it to, until May 2024. Yeah. Now we had we had this discussion so uh, last week with um, uh, with uh, Dr. Um, Roy von Hahn from Chief Sud, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we discussed specifically about the, this the strategies that even if you are not maybe ready. Um, start to talk with your notified body early so that they can reserve your time for you uh, so that they can plan everything because they have also their resources that they have to plan from on, on the other side. Oh, so yeah. that's why you should not call them at the last minute when, when you have everything ready. Otherwise, you will maybe miss some, some, some of the deadlines. So talk to them earlier, have a strategy with them, and this will be going fine then. But uh, yeah, I suppose a lot of manufacturers that are listening that Um, maybe are thinking, oh, let's wait until we arrive at the last minute to call them. No, call them early and plan maybe one year after the, your certification, but call them already now so that you have really a good timeline for that. Um, yeah. Great. So, uh, Frank, really, thank you. I, I think, as, a, as we said, you are also working a lot with MedTech Europe for all those activities there. Uh, so, um, If, if people have questions, I suppose, they, can they reach out to you maybe uh, through sure. the LinkedIn? Uh, so I, I will place, place this information on the, on the, on the, on the show notes. Uh, but really, thank you for, uh, for all the, the, the answers that you provided here and the clarification also on this MDC guidance and the, the struggles that can appear maybe on that. So I hope it will um, uh, put some, some kind of uh, highlight on, on the manufacturers that are on this situation and then provide them yeah. also some solution on what they do. So, so really, thank you for that. And uh, I wish you a nice day. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.